Hello, and welcome to the Investment Week podcast for October, where we analyse the biggest investment news stories and speak to leading investors about the most important issues on their minds. I'm your host, Anna Fedorova. I'm the news editor of Investment Week. Investment Week has been the premier publication serving professional investors in the UK since 1995. You can find out more about us by visiting www.investmentweek.co.uk. In this episode of the podcast, we will be talking about value investing. This style of investing has been shunned by investors for some time now, but growth stocks are becoming very expensive at the moment. And uh, especially following the sell-off in markets in August, uh, perhaps investors should start having a look at um, value once again. With me in the studio to discuss this and give some investment ideas is Peter Tugud, Investment Director at um, City Financial, which produces the Advisor Centre. Thank you for joining me, Peter. Good afternoon. Now, um, firstly, could you just talk a little bit about uh, what exactly differentiates value from growth? Okay, yes, it's it's, it's a bit nefarious because things can move around. Um, Basically, a definition would be the price to book for the market. You divide it into two, so wherever you are. The bottom 50% represent value and the top 50% represent Mm. growth based on the price to book. So simply put, it's the cheaper stocks rather than more expensive stocks using that measure. Um, Cold, but at least it works. (laughs) That makes sense. So um, why do you feel that now may be the time for investors to look at value opportunities? Well, for five or six years since the global financial crisis, uh, the whole thrust has been to try and improve um, the economic environment by various forms of stimulus, be it fiscal, be it monetary hoping economic growth would be strong and sustainable. What has actually happened is it's been stop-start, regions have roared, some haven't, the emerging markets have gone into a downturn. So therefore, what you've actually seen is growth has remained scarce. It's both the reality and the perception. And so people have bid up growth stocks. Those growth stocks, that's defined here as those companies that can compound earnings, pay good dividends, or have strong growth in their own right. Mm. So it's been bond proxy style companies, and it's been small mid caps that are growing faster than the overall economy. And that's what's been going on for five or six years. That's growth. Value is everything else. Mm-hmm. And so value has been the economically sensitive, it's been the energy, the mining, and interestingly, of course, now the financials, because A, their price to book has been lower because they've been derated, and B, because they're economically sensitive. If we don't have a strongly growing economy, in theory, we don't have a strong credit cycle, people aren't borrowing, and therefore the banks don't benefit. So there it is. Those are the definitions at the Mm. moment of value and growth. And how should investors go about choosing exposure to to the value themes now? I think it's very stark and very clear at the moment. So there are very clear value managers and very clear growth Mm. managers. Most value disciplines from fund managers won't let them buy expensive stocks. Therefore, they Mm. are already parked in what I would call the mining, the energy, the financials, or derivations of those. Mm -hmm. They're also typically in the larger companies at the moment, which are definitively cheaper than the mid and small caps. So a lot of emphasis on those sectors and on the larger largest larger stocks kinds of funds you can access um, in that regard I would name things like Investec UK Special Situations, Jupiter UK Special Situations. Uh, that sort of ilk is very much in, in the value cap. Um, GLG, undervalued assets, if you want a slightly more all-cap exposure, because the first two definitely are more mega cap at this stage. So mm-hmm. it's, it's that kind of value proposition that you want to be looking at. And they are embedded in the larger companies and the more cyclical end, the economically sensitive end. 
And in terms of the performance of these funds, um, what, what you've sort of mentioned earlier to me, what you've noticed uh, the, happening with the performance recently. Yes, Can I you mean, recap? It's been, for, it's been a shocker for them for a, a period of time, yeah. 18 months to two years. The value investors have been buying things going down more and more. Yeah. And the sell-off in August and September, so that if you, everyone remembers the market was 7,000, the FTSE all share was around, index rather, was around about 7,000. It got below six, mm. but it was led down by the same mining and en- energy and stocks and the banks, actually, some of the banks as well. So the value stocks just got cheaper, the rest of the market pretty much stayed where it was. So interestingly, in August and September, when you're talking to fund managers about the change, they look at you and say, but my stocks aren't any cheaper. Mm. The market was led mm. down by the things that have already been derated and carried on. So if you like, it was an absolution. And a couple of weeks ago, when the market started its move back up, just an oversold position possibly, it was driven almost entirely by energy and mining. So everyone is underweight. The hedge funds are all over being short these stocks. And you had a violent move in favour of energy and mining in a very short space of time. And that's the sort of market we're in at the moment. You get on a theme, everyone jumps on top of it, and you get this binary outcome between growth and value. Now, if you think about the medium term answer to growth and value, um, if this QE and the stimulus we've had is all about generating a stronger economic environment, Mm. why would you choose to be underweight economically Mm. sensitive stocks the momentum has been in the growth stocks which are all about growth still being scarce but they are now extremely expensive that's why the market is churning this year we always thought this year would be difficult Mm. but it's churning because the market's trying to work out okay oh it is secular oh the growth is back oh there is a credit cycle oh interest rates are going up that was never going to be a very easy year anyway, but they're now struggling with that whole concept. Of course, China and everyone else getting mm. worried about growth, etc., etc., etc. So the value buckets got cheaper and cheaper. So are there any, any any dangers that investors need to, to watch out for in this sort of type of investing? It's obviously a bit scary going for stocks that have fallen yep. so much. Value managers typically mm. have lumpy returns because mm. what they're buying is the out of favour, the unloved. There'll be an excuse for not owning BP and Shell and BHP Billiton and Barclays and Lloyds, etc. They'll come up with a million reasons why not to own mega mm. caps and these sectors. That's the point of value investing. You're buying for them very much the medium term and you're buying on the basis that um, you accept lumpy. But what I can say here is that they are cheap. That sector mm. compared to the other marketplace, uh, other sectors are cheap. And so at least balance your portfolio up. Don't have three growth funds. Don't have three things all keyed in to mid-cap growth, bottom of 50 of the 100 um, growth. Don't have those kind of stocks. For th- if you've got three in your portfolio, don't have all of those. You've got to start thinking of at least including one value, a value fund in, in your portfolio from here. Is there sort of a way to mitigate the, that kind of danger there then? Um, no, not really. I think you've, the danger is you, you, you have got binary portfolios mm. at this point. If you've got three year, funds that are outperformed three years in a row in a very similar fashion, mm. they're in a very similar place. Mm. And I think that's the danger of being too one-dimensional here. You have to assume they're cheap enough and you have to assume that at some point we re- re-establish some kind of secular growth path. And the problem if you're still a growth is scarce kind of person thinking I should focus just on growth stocks is that those stocks have priced in everything. So even if you own them, you're unlikely to get a huge amount from them at this point. They've discounted a lot of the future growth. So it's time to look elsewhere. Thank you very much, Peter. Now it's time for our interview with an investment manager. Now I'm speaking to Mike Riddell, fund manager at... um, Allianz Global Investors, who um, will be managing their bond funds. Um, and we're talking today about uh, duration. And Mike, you've got um, a slightly different view to maybe the consensus um, in the market. So could you just update us on that? Yeah, sure, Anna. Um, I think that many investors have been super bearish bonds really consistently since 2009. Uh, and 
these are people who are a short duration of stay short duration and basically expected growth to pick up and return to pre-crisis levels um, or and or expected inflation to pick up to pre-crisis levels. And what we've seen really since 2012 is inflation, having been around target, has fallen really materially to close to zero around the world. And a lot of this is due to commodity prices, but I'd argue that it's probably structural. This is long-term China things that's causing this to happen. Um, you know, energy prices and commodities aren't going to bounce back to where they were. Um, I think also in terms of growth, Clearly, GDP data has been far weaker over the last four or five years than many people have thought. Um, now, the IMF, as an example, thought that uh, growth would be four point four years ago. The IMF thought growth would be four point eight percent this year, and actually, um, they're now saying three point one percent. And the IMF classifies for some reason that um, growth of less than three percent is a recession, which I never quite understood, but that's that's what they say. So, you know, according to the IMF, we're very close to a global recession at the moment, and. When you're in an environment of very low inflation and what appears to be declining growth, then that is when bonds come to the fore. So looking at the markets at the moment, okay, they are partly discounting this scenario. So in, in the UK, for example, the first interest rate hike is now priced in for uh, about February 2017. Um, and, and that doesn't look too wrong to me. But you know, guilt yields overall, I think, don't look bad value if you do believe that growth will stay low and inflation will stay low. Great. Thank you very much, Mike. Now it's time for our news segment, where we discuss some of the stories which have been making headlines lately and what they might mean for investors. I'm joined by Investment Week's senior reporter, Laura G. Now, Laura, can you just give me some background on um, the main story that we'll be talking about today, which is what's been happening at the Investment Association? Yeah. The biggest news for the industry this month was the announcement that several of the largest firms in the Investment Association were leaving the organisation. The first firms to announce were M&G and Schroders, which make up £550 billion in combined assets under management, followed by Fidelity... Invesco Perpetual and Aberdeen Asset Management. Mm. The story took a further twist when it was announced on Tuesday night that following an emergency board meeting, Daniel Godfrey would step down from his role as chief executive. The CEO joined the IA in October 2012, but has faced criticism in the past for not fully understanding the concerns Mm. of the industry. He was also criticised for his £533,000 salary, Hmm. which some regarded as excessive for the head of a non-profit organisation. What are some of the issues that could have prompted the departures of um, of these sort of large fund groups then? Well, all five of the firms have declined to comment on their reasons for ceasing membership, but there have already been issues surrounding the body. these, These included the high membership costs of firms, which could reach hundreds of thousands of pounds per year the IA's failure to complete a review of sector classification and the unnecessary name change from the IMA to the Mm. IA. Many also feel the organisation lacks teeth and do not believe it could effectively lobby with the regulator. There was also yet more criticism for Godfrey, who members felt failed to consult them on his plans. Mm. Several firms were annoyed at the IA for changes to their sectors, which meant they no longer qualified for particular sectors and their funds were kicked out. First State, Threadneedle and Schroders have all been victims of this mm. and Schroders' Robin Stokely has called for an overview of the UK equity income sector. 
So one of the issues was the IA Statement of Principles. What exactly was this? The IA Statement of Principles was announced in April and the aim of this 10-point initiative was to encourage firms to put the interests of their clients at the heart of their business and handle any issues that could compromise their ability to uphold these principles. At the time, IA Chairman Helena Morrissey from Newton Investment Management described the initiative as a way to help clients trust their investment managers. Clauses included principles such as make all costs and charges transparent and understandable, ensure regular and clear lines of communication with clients, and set out clearly their approach to the stewardship of client assets and interest. Signatories needed to maintain these principles and confirm annually the effectiveness of this practice, creating yet more red tape in an industry which is already overwhelmed by regulation. As a result, it was only signed by 25 of the organisation's 200 members, and none of the firms who chose to depart were included in this. The only firm to publicly explain their decision not to sign the initiative was Fidelity, who said it was too diverse of a company to be covered by the statement. So what will happen at the Investment Association now, do we know? Since Daniel Godfrey left, the body has appointed Guy Sears as its interim chief executive. Sears has been director of compliance at the organisation since September 2013. It is in the process of appointing someone new, but has no timeline for when a new hire will be announced. Helena Morrissey has said that she is targeting a woman as a new chief executive. Mm. Morrissey is founder of the 30% Club, yeah. which is a group aiming to have 30% women on FTSE 100 boards by the end of 2015. Meanwhile, talking to members, they have suggested that the new organisation needs a chief executive who has a technical background, and they also want the organisation to help improve the industry's reputation, promote the value of active management, and support members' compliance departments. Great, thank you, Laura. That's all we have time for today. We would love to hear your comments and ideas for future podcasts if there are any particular topics you would like us to cover. You can contact me via email at anna.fedorova, that's spelled F-E-D-O-R-O-V-A, at incisivemedia.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>